0: Hello and welcome to episode two hundred and seventy five of the Waters Waveland Podcast. I'm back as your host, Wei Shen, and I've got Tony with me. Hey T, how's it hanging?
1: It's going well. It's going well. You're just uh Wei Shen just got back from vacation though. It didn't sound like it was much of a relaxing vacation, so I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, I was away for two weeks, but we were prepping for my brother's wedding. So the first week was kind of running around like a headless chicken. Um Yeah, pretty much. And then the following week was trying to relax, uh, spending a lot of time with family, doing little errands, like taking my mom and dad to the optometrist to check their eyes and mine, you know, because I'm getting older. Um, Yeah, so I I found out actually that I'm long sighted and it runs in, I'm born with it, which sucks.
1: is it, am I correct in saying that if you're long sighted, it means you can't see things close up? Is it is it the yeah. reverse? Yeah, so you can't yes. see things. Yes. So
0: close. T- technically, I still have 20/20 vision, but as as I age, my long sightedness will become worse. So right now, I I can still see things like close just fine. Like, and I have, I would say I have really sharp eyes, especially when it comes to like spotting bugs. It's it's gross. I don't wanna see them, but yet I do. Um, but yeah. Uh so I'm trying to take some effort. Um, like I don't need prescription glasses at the moment, but I'm wearing like a blue light blocker thing, uh just to kind of prolong me not getting prescription glasses.
1: <laughs> but hey, listen though, you know, once you go blind, <laughs> then you won't see the bugs as much anymore in that. So you know it's a it's a win. Yeah. I mean you Who's gotta look at the positive side. Yeah. Who's
0: gonna hold my hand and lead me? Oh, how am I going to write? Shall I dictate everything? You come to New York, gonna... we will.
1: You and I will go down the street together, arm in arm. Just I'll be staggering, <laughs> you know, for for obvious reasons. You'll be blind, <laughs> and so it'll be interesting.
0: But <laughs> well, tell us, tell us, tell us first of all, um, because you know, in the past two weeks that I've been away, uh, well, we have a, a new columnist. Tell us who he is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah brand new columnist guy, brand new tour <laughs> staff this guy named max bowie who's uh yeah uh, for those that don't know so the waters wavelength podcast is we are a publication for those that don't know it's uh, a max bowie has been covering the market data industry for very literally 20 i, I think it's 25 years if not this year the next year i should actually look oh at that as, and we should do something for him if it is um I, i'm never good at anniversaries and stuff like that but yeah so Max ran a publication called Inside Market Data, um, or IMD, and we stupidly got rid of that title. I, I would love to know why that happened. Like it was just, it had awesome brand recognition and it was incredibly well respected. And then you get some people from like, you know, I don't know, like your McKinseys of the world, and they come in and say. No what you you need to do it this way and then they leave and it's like, wait a second. we just got rid of this awesome brand anyway, I digress.
0: well we didn't get rid of it. we consolidated it, but still the name well, know, the but, name yeah, is gone
1: yeah the, we could have kept we could have kept his we could have kept that if I would have done things if I was the editor back then I, not and actually I don't think that the editor had much say. this was done through yeah. publishers and higher up the food chain, I guess anyway, story for another mm-hmm. podcast um but every Monday, you on watertechnology.com you'll either get a um a column which is an opinion piece for those that don't know journalism jargon i guess um an opinion piece from either max or me and so we're just going to rotate back and forth i'll focus more on technology issues max is going to focus more on data market data probably more specifically that's his bread and butter um but you know potentially reference data as well and so yeah, hopefully it starts off the week with something that's thought provoking, and then hopefully the rest of the week, we uh, we provide a reported on story. Well, our stories, our columns tend to be reported on, but um, yeah. Anyway, it's just say check it out. There, you can only find this. You know, I have. 14 years of experience covering the space. Um, max again twenty five. So not a lot of people are gluttons for punishment and stay at a trade <laughs> publication for as long as me and him have. And Wei Shen has been here for quite some time too and is getting up there as well.
0: Yeah. So Yeah, seven yeah. years now, so half your time.
1: Yeah.
0: Um not and not I don't know if I'm gonna get as close to Maxis, but uh we'll we'll see. <laughs>
1: As long as I'm here, you're here. You're not allowed to go anywhere. So, (laughs) well, this Um, week we have
0: a—you brought on a guest, right? So tell us who you brought on and uh, what you guys spoke about.
1: Well, it's uh, for fans of the podcast. This is this guy's a legend, uh, Bill Murphy. former CTO of Blackstone former founding CTO of Capital IQ uh, he's now at a company called uh, Cresting Wave White Glove Consulting Service and we just you know I always enjoy talking with him cuz he gives you know that he gives a really good managerial and kind of long-term how to think about technology budgeting and what and and just planning um Years in advance, as opposed to just reacting to what the the hot thing of the day is. Though so we do talk about gener- uh, generative AI, large language models, things like that. And uh, I, I like that at the very end, actually, um, we talked a little bit about because he was the founding CTO of Capital IQ, and he's starting up this new he has another uh, startup that he's creating, and they're kind of just coming out of dark mode now. And um, I asked him about like what he what did he learn? You know, from that founding CTO executive back in the 90s to, you know, a much more seasoned veteran um, and, you know, the battle scars to prove it. You know, what has he learned? So it was a good conversation. And again, anybody that's listening to podcasts, um, I think this is his fifth time. So uh, he's he's usually, I find him to be a treat to listen to um, and talk to. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. All right, and now I am joined by our most popular guest on the Waters Wavelength uh, podcast, uh, Bill Murphy. I think it's like five or six
2: times now. Yeah, I, I I've lost count. So okay. I'm I'm
1: psyched to be here. There's a reason why we have you back. It's always fun discussion. Uh, quick, you know, give the bona fides really quickly for those that don't know, uh, Bill. Uh, was the CTO of Blackstone for nine years until 2020. Before that, he was the founding CTO of Capital IQ for more than a decade. Uh, Today, he is a managing partner at Cresting Wave, which is, you know, if you've listened to the previous podcast, provides white glove kind of innovation discovery services uh, for the CTO community, end user CTO community. Am I kind of getting that one correct, Bill? Would you want
2: to change it? You know, I mean, we're, we're constantly trying to, we're trying to alleviate the, the, a big problem. And I think we're, you know, we talked briefly about, you know, some topics for today is like trying to, trying to find the right things to invest in to really create a future that you want to, that you want to live in as a CTO is always hard because there's just so many things out there. So we're trying to bring some, uh, some order to the chaos um, that's created by all these great, great new innovations that, you know, deserve to, to get some time but you know as a technology leader you don't have enough time so we like we learn about technology leaders backgrounds and what they have in their technology stack and so on and then we just find new new innovations that I vet that I think are pretty cool and useful for those specific instances where that match is made so um yeah. it's a uh, it's it's targeted innovation scouting for the for the CTO, and then you know our clients on the other side are we're helping get to market in, in a way that gets some real feedback to test whether their products have uh, have legs or not. So um, it's been a great you know it, it, it's it's fun. We've, we've we're up to eleven people. Continue to grow the business. I think that there's a solid value prop on both sides, and uh, just it's been it's been fun just trying to help help people every day on yeah. both sides of the equation.
1: Let me ask you this, you know, so. If if I'm getting my timeline correct, you would announce that you'd be uh, uh, leaving Blackstone prior, like right as the pandemic was kind of <laughs> starting to make headlines, right? And then you left, like basically. Yeah, right totally. My
2: my going away party got canceled because uh, Tom Hanks got COVID. as the same night, I think. Like, so uh, so yeah, it was um, it was a weird way, you know. But it, certainly, I was uh, stepping away and 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 going to do some. You know take some time and, and stuff and the whole world decided to do that at the same time I guess uh which uh, which, which which was a little weird well
1: you know, so we were kind of talking about how thinking you know around technology and technology projects and development and kind of long-term planning versus short-term planning in your experience now um at Cresting Wave compared to what you've experienced prior would you agree? Because this seems to be a common a common lament um, I hear from a lot of the CTOs, CIOs, heads of of technology that I that I speak with, is that there's a lot more pressure seemingly today than pre-COVID on short-term wins, quote unquote short-term. Yeah, wins. totally. Why do you? What do you attribute that to? Is it just? It, I don't know. Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Geopolitical? Is it? Geopolitical? Think, is it yeah, yeah. What do you got?
2: I mean I think it's um it's really it's really upsetting about society I think everybody is so trans is is way too transactional now yeah. and I think the world is so complex that uh everyone is just looking for you know the next thing to to get me through today right yeah. and to to just to, to serve the needs that I have right at this moment uh, and I think the CTO has a pretty you know, impossible job. Um, and, you know, when I say CTO, CIO, CTO, VP Engineering, CISO, people who are like running, you know, large teams and, and having to implement a lot of different technological uh, solutions because the complexity is so high. Trying to figure out what the right thing is for the very long haul, it takes a lot. And then even if you do that, the selling of that to get other people to see your vision and yeah. to, uh, you know enable you to have the raw materials you need to execute that vision is even harder right so too often that just seems like an insurmountable uh, hill to climb and yeah. then everyone's like all right well especially since all of their everyone else is saying just give me the quick wins so it's easy to just say listen if people keep asking for candy let me just let me just buy some candy and give it to them but you know we all know if you do that with kids all the time all they're going to have is you know cavities yeah. Um, yep. instead of having the the right work ethic and so on so I think it's 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 that same ethos that unfortunately you see too often in like you know child rearing in the way that people interact with counterparties on different types of transactions people just seem to have given up on like that long-term relationship that long-term value that long-term strategy um and uh you know I don't know what the fix is necessarily but you know it's something that i I, I feel is escalating and you know, that's why we came up with with this topic because um, anything we can do to try to talk about how to build that long term value, we want to because we think that that's the right way to to run any technology organization specifically, but frankly, every any business. Yeah, so, yes. you know, it's if we were to have this
1: discussion last year, figure around October timeframe, and this is why the, it's important to get the foundation right. We were having this discussion. Um, October of last year, large language models, generative AI would not have been on the lips of most people. It, it, not right. in the capital market space, at least. You know, yeah. maybe 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 a little bit here and there, but those really to know. Chat GPT comes out around then, um, the was it version three or whatever, GPT three. Um, and then at the start of this year, it's off the ground and running. Right. The pace of technological evolution is rapid you know open source now becoming more and more prevalent and democratizing certain things that were never available um or that you'd have to build up you have to get a team of engineers on yourself now you can just you know use open source tools you can you know partner with others on it but if you don't have that foundation right and this is something that you talk a lot about is where firms fall into the technical debt uh trap but if you don't have that foundation of proper data quality, data lineage, um, data mapping, data sourcing. If you don't have that correct, you cannot you might be able to get a short-term win, but th- that long-term payoff will not be there. and the technical debt that you'll accrue um mounts, it grows. Yeah. Am I characterizing that correctly?
2: Absolutely. I think the best analogy would be like a fad diet um where you know everyone, I'm going to do a cleanse, and and they lose seven pounds in one day, and then they're or one week, and they're so happy, and then you see them a month later, and they're right back to where they were before because they haven't made permanent improvements. So That's I think where that there's,
1: comes in who needs a diet or exercise? We just got OZP,
2: <laughs> right. I guess that would, that would be the technical solution we need, but the uh, uh, that uh, that fad, you know, that fad, obviously that continual like we got to get a quick win. What I'm seeing now with a lot of the companies you know they're they're getting their CEOs are coming to their CTOs and saying i need to have something to say about llms i need to have something to say about ai so mm-hmm. let's do something and so then you know everyone looks at it and says well what's what's the easiest thing we can do to yeah. say we did a project in <laughs> using llms not the most valuable not the most long lasting not the most impactful you know, all of that, they're like, all right, what's the easiest thing? So you're getting this like proliferation of, you know, like some cool things, but like a chat bot to do this or, you know, a a tweak to an algorithm to do slightly better. Uh, The even with these amazing new tools, it takes commitment to learning those tools and to using them in the right way and to going through all of the all the hard work to make sure that you're not, you know, tripping any compliance. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are throwing, you know, throwing smoke screens up to try to prevent people to experiment and, and, uh, you know, by saying it's risky. Uh, So all of that's just leading to, well, let me just do some superficial stuff, Uh, you know, and the people who are, I think we're going to wind up with a really bifurcated uh, uh, world where if you're not if you're not experimenting and putting real resources towards what can an LLM do and what can some of the other language, uh, other models do for you, you're going to fall behind. Yeah. And, you know, as I said on the phone with the tech leader earlier today, and they were like, yeah, my my general counsel said I can't do anything until we know. And then they have yeah. no plan to actually know. So he's just stuck um, and he's experimenting a little bit with a personal account at home or whatever. But. uh you know, I I think that's 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 doomed for that organization in the long run because they'll get I costs. think that's that that's a
1: common refrain to actually we wrote an article about you know bank you know compliance officers you're saying we're shutting everything down, everybody's on hold. And in some ways I can see the logic of it because you don't want um what do you call that? Kind of shadow IT to kind of pop up where everybody's kind of doing their own thing. You want that to come through the CTO CIO office, right? So if there's a proper strategy in place, a proper roadmap rather than this desk over here is experimenting with one thing, this desk over here is and then now you have this spaghetti. And you don't want that. That would be... Even if it,
2: even if it's one. not, yeah, even if it's not controlled by the CTO and CIO and some people, you know, don't have the skills to do that and some people, maybe it's not the right thing, but it it should be controlled at least, right? Where we know what we're attacking and why we're attacking it and, and then how do we measure the results? And are the results good enough to actually put in production and to like change our business based upon the result? Like all these things need to be considered, um, but I don't think that they're... I think the LLM, it's very easy to get such immediate, like, amazing results, right? Like, the first time you go in, I'm sure you had this experience with ChatGPT, you know, as a journalist, you're like, oh, my God, you know, you go in and put an idea, write me an article, and then you're like, wow, this is,
0: this is crazy, that, but right? Yes.
2: <laughs> but then, yeah, but then, you know, after you take a step back and you're like, okay, well, let me see if it really did write it better. And then you come up with, and then you're like, okay, you know, now I can figure out ways where I can leverage the LLM instead of have it, you know, be either so wowed by it or be afraid of it. Uh, And, but that takes commitment and that takes time and that takes priority, prioritizing the use of that above maybe some of those other short-term deliverables. Um, So it comes back to, right back to that same debate of like, are you willing to put the time and energy and that resources to go run the experiments, to learn how the prompting works, to data to create an infrastructure to be able to iterate um, you know, using these new technologies. And uh a lot of people are just like, ah just slap something together and, and do it off on the side, which I think is the wrong solution.
1: Well and and the problem there, right, is that I think technologists, they understand this, but so I use Chat GPT a lot. Um it helps in the Beginning part of a journey of, of, of research. It it you know it kind of can lead me down things or help me to understand things quick more quickly. So it helps kind of augment things. But I you see this in journalism circles certainly, where um I want to say it was uh moto got rid of their kind of their Asia team. They're like, we're just gonna have Chat GPT write the articles based off of, you know, pressure, stuff like that. And the problem that people at the at the higher levels that don't quite understand technology is there's a lot of hallucination, first of all, with anything generative AI related, uh, meaning it, it, it kind of makes things up, it, that, that things that aren't really there. And so you can't take it, you, you have to still do the research of it. It can get you started in your journey or something like that. And it can do certain tasks very well, um, very specifically defined tasks. But the problem is, you can't just say, "Oh, we can just replace this whole thing over here with this." No, you still need the expertise there, and 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 I don't know that that understanding fully exists today.
2: Yeah, and and it's very seductive to take the quick win. Yeah, like Gizmodo did, or or whomever, right? It's very seductive. It's like, oh my god, this is you know. So you have to do the hard work to actually figure out if it's hallucinating and how often and why. And oftentimes, you know, people say that hallucinates all the time. It's actually how you're asking the questions and then how much of a corpus you're giving it to, to um, analyze over. So, you know, I I, uh, I was one of the co-founders of this company, The Contract Network, that's uh, about two years, you know, it just came out of stealth. Um, we're, gonna, we're working to make contract negotiation uh, more efficient. Anyway, uh, we started with the AI journey last November after OpenAI became more widely available, and we're amazed at the results. Within like 30 days, we were like, "Oh my gosh, this! We have to pivot our direction because it was so impactful to us." Um, we thought it was going to probably have this impact over a five-year period. Instead, we were like, "Oh my God, this is going to be over a much shorter period of time." Uh, however, we we then have put significant engineering time to to optimize to use the models correctly. And like you know, nine months later, we're we're working with our trial clients and and getting some great results from it. But like it wasn't like oh well, we tested it a couple of times and you know, 15 days later we're done. Uh, it was a long process. After we realized all the the great promise of this and wanted to lean into it um, to do it, so I think it's the same. It's you know, it speaks to it. and the way that you know ho- limiting hallucinations. Like we definitely lowered the. The corpus to smaller and smaller pieces of of information um, to have the AI analyze, and it you know really improves the accuracy tremendously. And then you have to have obviously feedback loops to make sure that you're that there's never any uh, problems. Well, t- t-
1: take so for for companies that are out there for for technologists that are out there that are maybe trying to either get something off the ground or trying to help their board understand why this is something that they should be experimenting with you know, and why the compliance officers might need to kind of pull, you know, kind of give some slack um, to an appropriate amount. What were some of the lessons that you learned that that you, so with the contract network and the engine that you built, what were some of the lessons that you learned in going through that process? Because this is still a new thing for a lot of companies to use this kind of, LLMs have existed for a long time, generative AI has existed for a long time, right? Right. But with uh, GPT-4 now, um, it's a different universe. It's a different world now than what was previous, so everybody's kind of learning some lessons I think along the way for you, what were some of the more interesting things that you if you're talking to another technologist that you'd say this is interesting something to keep an eye out for this is where we may maybe made
2: a mistake early that we yeah had to i mean pivot the prompt the, the prompt engineering stuff was was uh you know I didn't understand it personally and and uh, my team still kind of probably understands it way better than I do, but the uh You know, the need to iterate, the need to ask, you know, to interact with the with the LLM in a in in a way, almost like thinking about how you'd interact with a with a with a a human or with a, you know, anything that you're asking questions to uh, is going to is going to impact Um, more. You know, it's definitely a different way of thinking about it than like traditional programming and traditional algorithms, which are much more like, you know, cut and dry. Um, So I was, uh, you know, I, I guess it was somewhat to be expected but it definitely took a lot of um a lot of time from the team hard work about you know understanding both what we were asking it to do and the types of data that we were operating across yeah. and then you know and then that gives you the ability to do the quality assurance and to learn from that and to have once again that really good feedback loop uh and nothing you know it, it takes time I think that speaks to like the need to have that good training set, and whether you're training the algorithm or whether you're just using it to validate the output of a of a, a larger model that's not being trained on the stuff specifically, yeah. it's still important to know what, what's expected and what's considered great. Much like if you were asking it to, you know, to do some research for you. If you knew the topic, you can yeah. obviously test it. If you don't know the topic, you know, you're it's it's much easier to just uh you know accept something as real that was a complete. You know complete fabrication
1: yeah no for me it's always like all right and i tell my reporters it's like use it to help you start the journey use it to help you to kind of but it's not so and but it is interesting the way that you can use it to kind of can can i reword this in a way that's more concise you know can can i and it really can work with you if you kind of go back and forth like you said it's like having a conversation with somebody where you're almost you understand each other you're not necessarily uh you that know, they have a bit of an accent you know so you're trying to kind of work back and forth to get to the best solution of it i was talking with um a cto of a very large bank uh recently and you know they were talking about how there's a lot of focus for them on AI. i was talking with another one they were like no you know, we're 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 on lockdown of this and you know we're not we're nowhere near getting off the ground even if what we say publicly, it's not true. Um, but the one that is, you know, we were first talking about how, I think that you know, for many technology departments, the, the, the danger is that it's like uh, with blockchain in 2016, 17, 18, here's this cool tool, let's figure out a way to make it work for us without having a real plan in place for it, without having a proper foundation put in place for it. Um, and, you know, the way the CTO was saying it is like, if my CEO came to me to a technologist and said, build me a rocket ship, like, I don't know how to build a rocket ship. So you just ask for a lot of money (laughs) and then be like, all right, I would, you go off and either you would build the rocket, but it wouldn't be able to get to, it's like, listen, it flies. It's just not going to be able to get to Mars. Okay. I don't know what to tell you. Um, or it just never gets off the ground and say, listen, I need more money. You know, we, we need some more expertise. We need some co- consultants to come in to help with this. And real, really, you're just trying to tread water. How do you go about creating the business case, um, kind of creating, I guess, how do you quantify these projects and say, listen, it's going to take some time that this isn't a
2: short-term thing, Right. I think forecasting is incredibly difficult to be precise.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that people who grew up in an engineering discipline hate forecasting when they don't have that ability to be precise. Uh-huh. So I actually think it's a, it's like an a, something that we're all afflicted with as engineers. Like, oh, well, I can't be right, Anthony, so I don't want to guess because yeah. I know that I'm going to be wrong. It makes me uncomfortable to give you an answer. But the people who, you know, the, the way to make decisions is to do the best guess and to use your forecast to decide. So that that muscle needs to be exercised. And it's like, okay, we're going to do this project. We expect it's going to have these results. We think that, you know, here, what's the high and low in terms of the, po- the most positive and the most negative outcome? What are the likelihoods of those outcomes? How do I, you know, and then like, really come up with your value model Based upon those best guesses that are obviously should be informed by all of your all of your your scar tissue that you have that the pattern recognition of the past plus um, anything else you can glean from your um, either from your business statistics or your colleagues or whomever uh, to try to really create a value calculator. But you have to do it even though you know in your heart of hearts that it's wrong because yeah. you're like I'm just making this stuff up. But that educated guess is really critical to the story that you're telling in order to get the, the to, to, to sell the dream, right? That's what every investment deck is for, for startups, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a, a bunch of financials that are never right. And, yeah. but they tell a story about, well, this is what we think we can do. And you just have to do that same thing internally, almost treat like almost treat your, your internal budgeting process like a you know a series of venture capital or uh, you know startups uh, <laughs> that you're starting and you have to go sell the dream so that you can get the money you need to build the dream
1: do you think that there's a fear so if we live in an environment right now post covid world where for whatever reason it's more short term thinking easy win more transactional less relationship that technologists are a little bit more reticent to put their head on the chopping block to make that educated guest to tell 100%. that story because when that story changes they'll be like what the hell happened you told us this story we like that story we don't want to rewrite we don't want to rewrite
2: on this 100 percent agree and it's hard too because like sometimes you sell the story and then the week after you sell the story you know, your people get pulled, somebody quits, like something else happens, there's a short-term disruption, and then, you know, no one remembers the disruption. Everybody just remembers that you don't deliver on that great story that you had. So, that's, you know, that risk is a real one, and uh, my view is it's better to... um, to be bold and, you know, and like die trying basically, uh, you know, even if it leads to some risk. But, you know, I know everybody's not, everybody's different, right? Everybody, yeah. you know, pe- some people are, are are more risk averse, but uh, if you don't. It's the old you don't saying,
1: reach- right? I was just saying, isn't it like the old saying of it, it's, the th- it's the mentality of you don't get fired for hiring IBM for your, for your, um, for your mainframes, right? You, you're not going to get fired for that. Um, yes. Even if there is downtime, even if even if something goes wrong, they'll allow you for. As opposed to, you're trying something new, you're trying something bold. I don't know, you know, I, how do you kind of in this in this environment that we're in? Again, well, and I think that
2: the, I mean, the, the the bigger reason why, so I completely agree. Once again, um, is why that leads to that that you know risk averse thinking, uh, and unfortunately, I think if you. When when people are listening to this, they're gonna be like, Yeah, I know, Bill, that's obvious. I just don't have the resources. I wanna do the great thing, but yeah. I you know, I don't have enough people to do that. The only uh the thing, one thing I would say to that is I have heard really positive things about using LLMs for code, um, as a, you know, basically as a, a programming assistant, uh, making developers way more productive. And, you know, hopefully some of the that that productivity can be used to create the air for that experimentation, for the forward thinking projects, um, and so on. Uh, I do, you know, it has been, uh, I think it's the safest place to probably use the LLMs for the compliance side as well. Cause you're like, you know, just because it's writing code for you, you that code's never going in production.
0: Yeah.
2: That code is going into a repository, it's getting checked in. Presumably, it's getting tested. It's going, you know, it's going through all the steps of your change management process before you're actually running it. Um, so, I think I saw a stat the other day was like OpenAI's usage is, uh, you know, is is, he- is heavily skewed to development or developers, or maybe it wasn't OpenAI. It was it was some of the LLMs in general um, is more heavily skewed to developers than ever because because they sort of have the the engine that you know they can pour the gas into this this same process the same engine of getting changes approved and all the way through now you're just making them able to do twice as many changes um yeah. so hopefully that can give the that can give the uh the CTOs of the world a little bit of um a little bit of air uh, you know room a uh, breathing room to to experiment i think the same is hold, holds true for a bunch of other innovations now some of this is self-serving because we we're we're constantly showing innovations but i do think that like these new platforms are just easier to use, easier to trial, and are all about efficiency. Uh, and you know, embracing some of those can sometimes be the key to creating space for velocity.
1: How do you
2: like if you're at a big bank, right,
1: um, or you know, a large asset, manager, asset management uh, firm? We hear a lot about. Um, I think there's some overlap in this question. We'll see. Let's go down the road. Let's see where I get with it. It's like I said, it's, how do you ask the question? Because you know, so many times I ask a question that's so meandering that you gotta really kind of <laughs> whittle it down. But with cloud development, we hear a lot, every every CEO will say we're cloud native, we we're, we're we're everything's going to the cloud, you know, we're really cutting edge. But when you actually talk to the CTO CIOs, they say 20, 30 percent, it's the new development stuff is moving yep. to the cloud. The legacy stuff is still the legacy stuff. What have you learned over these last few years talking with people, um, talking with those in the CTOs in the industry about, because I think that cloud can serve as kind of a good use case example for where things can go well, right? Where things can go wrong as far as strategic planning and managing technical debt. What are maybe some of the lessons that we can learn from cloud deployment and moving legacy systems to the cloud? And then being able to um, take advantage of, if not even LLMs, just AI, machine learning, even more basic functions that a lot of people like say, yeah, we we use machine learning a lot, we use we use AI a lot, but really, how much of it is in actual production and actual and um, actual um, well, work environments?
2: Yeah, well, I think um, the move to cloud is still like like you said, twenty to thirty uh, percent. Absolutely, it's less than you would you would gather from all the, the the all the media attention and all the uh, you know uh, prognostications from people and all that. So there's not there's not as much as you think. I think it's pretty it's the same short term long term uh investment moving to mm. cloud services whether it be using AI ML or not, right? Just basic stuff takes rearchitecture. It takes time to Design the right way to use the cloud services so that they can be efficient and and cheap enough, and like you just can have the right combination of features, function, and and cost that um you know that are better than the on-prem that you have or better than the existing system. So uh, it's just hard when people are trying when, when people have an enhancement uh you know a set of enhancements their arm long and they are like oh now I just have to go build. You know, redo my current systems. Uh, that sounds yeah. like a waste of time. And then you just get caught in this in this short term, long term. Uh, I do think that it's a little simpler than people give it credit for. It's like build a services oriented architecture where all your systems are not tightly coupled to one another, and then start moving the systems one by one, and uh, and you'll get there eventually, right? Yeah. Um, but if but you're never gonna finish if you don't start. Uh, chipping away at the problem. The problem is there's so much tightly coupled architectures out there. Like everyone, yeah. you start to get into this analysis where you're like, if I move this, I gotta move this, then I gotta move that, then so on and so forth. And, and next thing you know is like, we have to move the entire company on some weekend to AWS yes. and no one's gonna do that. Yeah. Uh, so you have to break that coupling uh, in order to facilitate the more kind of iterative one at a time mm-hmm. movement to cloud. Uh, it just takes a bunch of work. And once again, there's, you know, probably not spending enough on technology. Hopefully some of the LLM development tools will make it better and get faster, uh, enable us to do more, rewrite old systems automatically. Um, I think we're in for like uh, a couple of years of amazing innovation uh, yeah. based upon these new capabilities that we have because, uh, you know, and hopefully that'll solve some of these problems. I guess I'm still an optimist after all of the, uh, all the pessimism that I talked about in terms of the, the short-termism. Hopefully the technology stuff will override all of the bad behavior from the humans the best
1: piece of technology is when it goes well it helps augment what a human do it makes efficiency when it goes wrong it it, and there are stupid strategies put in place people get laid off for no good reason
2: well i mean you know what some degree i'm going to put it on you anthony like the media everything Uh that goes wrong is like amplified by I talked to a very prominent journalist one time, it was off the record, but I'll just quote it in general. It was like, I was like, why do you always focus on all the negative news? And he just flat Let out was like, to, that's all no. the clicks, man. All yeah, the clicks no. are the negative news and it's all the incentives fault. are
1: wrong. You click on those stories. We try and feed you your vegetables with, here's a successful product.
2: No, I'm project. just kidding <laughs> about <laughs> you specifically. You actually, yeah, I mean, joking, you joking. guys are covering a lot of the positives, but like, that's the issue, right? It's like, we're yeah. all fed the negatives. And we're never, uh, I was saying, I, this is World of Progress, I think the name of the podcast is or something. And all he does is focus on all the amazing things that are happening in the world. And we have just yeah. like, we're so much better off than we were 20 years ago. And the, when people say the world's never been this bad, you know, they shake their head and they walk down the street. And you're just like, how can you? It's, it's just, it's insane that so many people believe that. Um, because we're living in this world of as close to abundance as we can get, even though we have a lot of problems. So hopefully I'm, we can solve it.
1: I'm looking up one of my favorite books. Uh, it's called uh, Factfulness. Uh, yeah, ten, I've read ten that reasons as well. Wrong about the world. Uh, Hans yes. Ro- Rosling uh, yes. was the main author. It's a great book. Maybe you were the person that told me to read it. I don't know. That's possible. Maybe.
2: Um, but um, I hope so. Great it book was about great, how, right?
1: Yeah. And, it, and it's, it talks about the media and it's, you know, every single plane crash that happens will get reported no matter where it happens in the world it will get reported on the nightly news they won't mention that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the flights that took off in the world landed just fine no big deal yeah. <laughs> um no i think it's 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 certainly the media has a lot to blame with it um but you know but also you know it's 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 what i like about water technology we don't have to be the first you know we we don't have to uh, media wants to get everything first you know they they want to be you know, who gives if you if you're, if you're if you're first you know as long as you get it right and you provide the context around it but and then it's also the people you know you got to start you know curate what you know stop reading the garbage you know Stop, you know what do you care like deutsche bank laid off x amount of people that story's gonna get a lot of clicks i know but so every firm lays off people. Yeah, It's like, I don't understand what we're talking about. There was an outage at this exchange. All right. Was
2: there something that
1: we can learn from it? Great. You know, otherwise, exactly. who cares?
2: I think cybersecurity is a great av- area for this. Like a lot yeah. of the times you see, you know, it's like a giant headline. You know, this person had a breach and they lost 10 billion in market cap. Right. Yeah. But then, you know, three days later when their market cap is back to the same thing it was pre-breach, no one reports yeah. that. Right. Like it's just it just noise created to generate a certain uh amount of panic that generates ad dollars for yeah. whoever's writing it and it's it's really frustrating because i think it it's it's teaching the wrong lessons and this is yeah. back to like you know i have two kids and trying to get them to think long term about things too is hard right like everybody's addicted to to that uh to the dopamine and uh you know it's I don't a problem know with,
1: it's a it's a problem with like you know so we're trying to we're working on some earnings call stuff, but we don't I don't care about what the revenue costs were like the stuff that you can sprinkle in. What can we learn from that? What's the context behind? It? I don't care if this is up or down Q1 to Q2, though we will put those numbers into the thing, but is there a reason for the success or did something go wrong? If there is with the Ion hack, there is a lot of reason to believe that Ion wasn't uh good. Uh, the, well, the, a lot of the banks were very upset with the way that they were treated by Ion the help desk.
0: Right. There's something
1: to be learned from there. so 100%. that's what you report on, yeah. but a hack is a hack. you know it's, everybody's gonna get hit at some point sometimes, you know?
2: yeah, sometimes it sometimes it's a systemic problem, and sometimes yeah. it's not. And like having enough wherewithal to like dig, dig in and and really report what what is and what isn't is yeah. what's missing. um, yeah, for sure. Let me
1: ask you one more one more technology question here. So you were. And I believe 1999, the founding CTO of Capital IQ. Yes, I yes. got the date right. right. Yeah. So you went through that experience. Capital IQ became one of the biggest companies in the world, now part of S&P, um, a very key piece of S&P Global's empire. Um, and then you went on to one of the largest investment firms uh, from there, almost a decade there. Um and then, obviously, at Cressing Wave, kind of getting to, to speak more with, with peers, you know, with, with people, our CTOs, that have been in, in the same position you've been in. With the contract network and being a founder there, what's different? What have you learned from 1999 to 2023, whenever you started it? But whenever when you had those initial conversations, what are some of the main lessons? I think that there are a lot of people that are listening that are like, yeah, I want to do big bold things, and so I I might want to leave the job I'm at right now to kind of try my own big bold thing. What are some of the lessons that you learned from 1999 to now? Wow,
2: that's a great question. We didn't prep for this. this Finally, it's one great question. You know, yes. um, I would. Uh, I would say I um I've tried to be better, and probably people would still say I'm not good enough at this. But like the the like listening a little bit better um you know asking questions and i always tell like the people who are um designing on my team i was like act like a journalist right because a journalist is like has beginner's mind usually with almost every topic right because you don't you're not an expert in llm so you go in and you're an like expert. "How can I ask the right questions to get to the answers that will be interesting and helpful for people and like the same is true when you're designing software uh so you know I, you know i think we did a decent job of that at capital iq just because i was like i didn't know anything about anything so sort of like you had to have a beginner's mind and ask questions yeah. in order to learn um but you know there's so many more I would say, oh, maybe this is more like how the world has changed. There's so much more available um, to uh, to to find that you know you can really learn in in way more uh, by just leveraging what's on the internet and and uh, and and connecting to users directly and stuff. And and I guess the the second piece, and I tell this to a lot of, I, I do a bunch of angel investing and and talk to the CEOs there and like you have to be willing to accept the really hard message. Yeah. Right. Maybe you're just not good enough. Maybe your product sucks. yeah. Right. But it's better to know that sooner rather than later and make the modifications to make your product not suck. The number of people who tell me, they're like, we're doing amazing bill. We have amazing traction. And it's like, how many people are using the software? Well, you know, we kind of have one, you know, you're like, you just told me you're doing amazing and then I asked you about your usage and no one is logging in like that those things are completely different but like everybody's ego is so sensitive that they they don't want the tough the 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 tough story of like you still got a ways to go yeah. and um you know that wishful thinking is like is is really probably you know if, if I could go back I probably would have avoided a bunch of you know dumb uh investments that we made along the way in a variety of ways right by just assuming we were right and not testing it and not watching the data early enough and like and and really saying you know well maybe we should pivot and maybe we should do it differently so i think people are better at it today because there's more available but there's still a lot of people are deluding themselves because they want to love their idea so much that they just can't let it go and it's just, it's always one, one conversation away from being a huge success until they go bankrupt. Um, and, uh, you know, so anyway, that's what I, I definitely see that pattern over and over again. Uh, and you gotta, you gotta, you know, it's, it, and unfortunately a lot of people just want other people to like them. So they go out to get feedback from folks and they're like, Anthony, like, tell, let me show you something. Do you like this? And you're like, well, I, yeah, it's great. It really looks like you put a lot of time and work into it. And con- thank you. Congratulations for launching this or whatever. And in the back of your mind, you're like, this thing doesn't have a chance in hell. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard for anybody to be the, the villain. Right. And say, you know what, It doesn't have a chance in hell. And I, I'm sorry that I know you don't want to hear this. And then people get angry. So because of that human desire to be liked, they're not getting the story. In, in the way that they should um yeah. so you, they have to draw it out way more in order to get the truth
1: yeah i think that you know i'm, I'm obviously biased but i think that journalism can it, i always say it's like I, I have plenty of journals that went on to completely different careers but they the the skills that they learned and you know some of the things i might say is you know, never go into an article thinking that you know the angle listen to people listen to what they have to say don't go in with the story already written in your head so that's first you know you and then it's the Walt Whitman quote that Ted Lasso made you know be curious you know ask the questions try and you know again don't have that answer already set in your head and then understand that you know you might ask some stupid questions as I have clearly demonstrated on this podcast (laughs) and on other ones uh and it's okay you know just you know try and get to the right question eventually so
2: I, and question. I would just, I yep. would love for everybody to just be honest, be honest. And obviously people probably, you know, maybe some members of my family are like, "You, Bill, you're too honest. But like, <laughs> I want to, you know, I really believe in that. Like, just tell people the. The, your real opinion, and obviously you can do it in a way that's mean, or you can do it the way that's not mean, and you try to not be, not you know, you're trying to couch it in the in the right way. But like that's more helpful to people in the long run yeah. than like making them feel good for five minutes and then they, you know, and then they continue on a path that's not right. So well, that's what like we're always trying to do. It's like, you know,
1: you cannot. I would say you can never be precious about your copy because you give me something that's not good. I'm gonna go and tear it apart. and I'm gonna let you know what you did wrong, and that should help you learn. Don't. Don't get upset. Don't you know just understand, listen, and and grow from it. So no, I think those are valuable tenants. Let me ask you one last question, and I'll let you go. Uh, who you got in the NBA finals? Who who's
2: who, who you're Yeah, looking for? I knew you were gonna come come at me with this one. I mean, we I
1: always think... dating, dating back to Dan d. Francesco, and uh, Yeah, and d- yeah. And
2: shout out to Dan. I don't know, you know, <laughs> um haven't seen him in a while. But the just uh had a, just had a daughter, actually. Oh, awesome. Congrats. He's doing That's well, fantastic. Um the uh I think Celtics Nuggets. Um, I'm really hoping for Celtics Warriors because uh, you know um, love watching Curry play, but um, the Nuggets are just like juggernaut. And you know, three games in, I was like, uh, I was blown away. Um, Jokic is is crazy. So yeah. um, him, Jamal Murray, and then you have. Your I, know guys, like, is, I know this is. I know this is like the chalkiest pick because these yeah. are the two favored. But like, I think. Uh, I, I think the Drew Holiday trade was like just a great fit for Boston. So it'll be fun to uh, to watch the season, and we'll see how this tournament goes in the in-season in yeah, tournament, in which season is tournament. this new uh, – I don't know how you're going to get people to care about that, but but Adam Silver seems to have figured it out most of the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, they always make the right choices, and I think that no one's going to care about it in the beginning, but once you get to that final four, I think that people will be like, oh, man, I really want my team to win, just the same way in European soccer. People care about you know the FA Cup or whatever it is those original 100%. kind of things
2: 100 percent. we'll see bill
1: thanks so much always a pleasure when we'll have you on uh, at some point uh, next year trust me we're not done with you yet until you get <laughs> sick with us we won't be sick of you
2: sounds good all right well great to be here and uh thanks again for the opportunity cheers